Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this transfer portal stuff is continuing to be crazy, and a lot of people have different thoughts and discussions about it, and we're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about, you know, people talk about how the schools pay the players, and, you know, this free agency has slowly become free agency. You know, this transfer portal is free agency now. And so we're we're going to discuss why this transfer portal, whether it's good or bad, you can form your own opinion, and I will give you my opinion on this transfer portal stuff, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, make sure you like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, you know, like like the video and everything else that helps with the algorithm, helps out with everything else. Um, with podcasts, please and thank you. Um, leave a review on Apple and iTunes, five star review that helps it out as well, and also. Follow at Coach underscore Steve72 on Twitter and at Coach Steve Show on Twitter as well. Leave a comment in the comment section down below, of course, and check out all the affiliates in the description below as well. And again, we're upgrading some things. We got different different things going on, so we're slowly, slowly updating this. Um, so we're here to discuss the transfer portal again. And I've talked about it from my own opinion, what I've heard. And what you hear other people talk about. But now we're really going to discuss articles and try to see, is the transfer portal good for college sports? And the name, image, and likeness thing is going to come into play. But this is not to talk about players getting paid. Um, I actually was in a class where we had to discuss a topic. And the topic was, should athletes get paid? And you had to look at one side of the aisle or the other. And make your point on, do you think that players should get paid? And I had to put in there why they should get paid and why they should not get paid. And at the time, this was, you know, years back now, in the 2010s, there was rules that were very weird. Did you guys know that if you were in a class with a college football player and you had a group, you were a group project, you went to some restaurant and you know how it is. Like you go out to lunch, you do whatever. And you say, Hey, I'll buy your meal this time. You buy mine next time. If you went out with football player in that setting and bought them food, 
that was considered illegal in the NCAA's eyes. Now I think that's gone. But at the time, that is what happened. So the rules have changed. Why do I say that? Well, we have adapted. We have finally started to make more sense in our rules with the NCAA with college athletics. So as we move forward, you talked about players getting paid with a scholarship. What about the ones that just walk on and join the team? Now the walk-ons, they have to pay to go to school. The scholarships, you are paying the player to be there. But you also had to look at it from the terms of look how much the coach is making, look how much the school is making, look at the weight room, look at this. When college athletics does well, the whole school does well. Where do you think libraries come from? Where do you think the computers come from? Where do you think offices come from? The chairs. A lot of those get paid when sports do well because they get money. They get ticket sales. They have the TV deals. They have everything. As we move forward into that conversation, it was, but is it really what they're getting paid? Depends what college you go to. If that scholarship is two hundred grand, well, they're getting paid two hundred grand over four years, maybe five years. So it just all depended. And the whole debate was paying them from the school. Like the school had to pay for them. And it became maybe your Alabamas of the world, Georgias of the world. I don't know if right now, but maybe your Floridas of the world. Those type of universities could pay players, maybe. But it came down to do you how how would you do this? Because if football is bringing in most of the money, and maybe your basketball team from the NCAA March Madness is bringing in all the money, how can you justify that money paying the baseball team that doesn't bring in money? Maybe this other sport doesn't make money, but you're going to use that money who, who you already use to upgrade facilities in the whole school. How does that get justified, right? Now, I'm telling you all this to think about this as we move forward because of how this whole name of your likeness getting into the transfer portal thing kind of came about. And so when you thought about it that way, people didn't care. It's just like everything in society today where it's, well, this person, you know, has a billion dollars, give it to these people. You know what I mean? And that's a whole other conversation. But that's where it came about. Then it came about where, but you have Division One schools. For for example, Alabama's football team, the amount of money that gets generated, they could probably pay their players. Not all of them, but they could probably come out and pay players. Other Division Ones, not the level of competition of Alabama, but institutional-wise, Let's just go for my University of Illinois, no offense. It's right here. They wouldn't be able to afford to pay players with the stuff they bring. They don't bring in the same type of revenue that Alabama's bringing in. And that's okay. They're, they're working. That's the standard is let's get to Alabama. They're not to that point. They wouldn't be able to afford to pay players out of the school at all. You could look at even like a Northwestern. Could they afford to do that? Now, maybe Ohio State could. Michigan probably could. Could Indiana. So you just looked at this whole thing and said, okay, it's going to become an unfair advantage. We talked about paying players. It's going to become free agency. And that is what has happened. But then on top of that, what has made this whole thing kind of get more looked at and more attention to it is the transfer portal. The transfer portal has become huge. Now, the reason why it's become huge is because of the new rules. Used to be, I believe you call it transfer one time, and if you transferred, you had to sit, I believe, and the coaches could dictate where you go. They did not want transfers leaving within your conference because if you play at Alabama and you go to Auburn, well, they don't want that. If, you know, back, if someone wanted to transfer from Florida to go to Alabama and Tim Tebow was there, they would have said no. That, that, that's not happening. So there was a lot of things going on with that. You know, college athletes, they weren't getting paid. You know, the, 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 the name, image, and likeness stuff came from the video games. It came from seeing jersey sales, 
um, at the school with their names on it, and they were the school was essentially making money. That's where this all came about. So then we started to get into this transfer thing on top of it. And so the, the transfer portal started to become more of a thing because there was more pushback with legal allegations and everything else on this name, image, and likeness. So let's talk about the transfer portal before we really dive into how name, image, and likeness was working. Um, there's a couple articles we're going to go over talking about the transfer portal. So what is the transfer portal? Um, it was adopted in 2018, and it was designed to help compliance administrators track transfers and become better organized in the process. The portal is a notification of transfer uh, model, and its double spokesman said it empowers student athletes to be able to transfer. How does an athlete enter the transfer portal? Um, there's no magic door to step through. There's not a website or anything. Um, an athlete wants to enter the transfer portal. Um, they ask the university compliance administrator to submit their name. Once the request is made, the school has two business days to submit the information to NCAA. That's done via portal website, which is to compliant administrators have access and administrator logs on and inputs the athlete's request. Now, there's different dates for the transfer portal. They just can't hop in willy-nilly whenever they feel like it. In the fall, there's a 45-day window beginning the day after the championship selections are made in their sport. In the spring, May 1st through the 15th, except in football when the spring window is April 15th through the 30th. So right now, the transfer portal is now open again. People can start um, jumping through. Your winter sports, there's a 60-day window beginning the day after championship selections are made in their sport. Um, spring sports, December 1st through the 15th in the fall or a 45-day window beginning the day after championship selections are made in their sport in the spring. In the 2022-2023 school year, the football, portal is, the football portal is open December 5th through January 18th and is open again April 15th through the 30th. The men's and women's basketball portals are open March 13th through May 11th. How is transferring different? So there's two different things. There's transferring and then there's the portal. Um... Before the transfer portal, an athlete who wanted to transfer had to ask their head coach for permission to contact other schools, like we said. They had to go in and ask permission. The coach had the option to deny that request, in which case the athlete could appeal to the school's athletic director. So again, like I mentioned earlier, the coach had a lot of decisions, could control this. And this is why people didn't like this, because let the person have freedom is what they said, to let them go where they want to go, even though they chose to go to the school anyway. If the request was denied again by the athletic director, a second appeal could be made to a designated camp administrator, such as a dean of students. If the request again was rejected, the final appeal was to a committee of professionals on campus and other students, according to an NCAA spokesperson. Potent in the portal, or excuse me, um, athletes who are rejected at every step of the process Still could transfer, but they were not eligible to receive athletic aid at their new school. So they could go there, go to school, but they were not going to enter any type of scholarship, money, anything like that. So this is what I was talking about. Like the head coach, you know, had a lot of say. And if the head coach said, no, you think the athletic director is going to come in and say yes? Do you think everybody else in there is going to say yes if the star quarterback wants to leave? No. So it really limited them on what they could do. Um... In the past years, athletes who enter the transfer who transfer from one Division One school to another in many sports, including football, men and women's basketball, were required to sit out a year before competing. So, if you went from Division One to Division One, you had to sit for a year, and this was this was the old way. There was an appeals process for an immediate eligibility, but a redshirt year was the standard. That was still the case when the portal went to effect in 2018 and 2019. It changed in April of 2021 when the NCAA adopted legislation that allowed a one-time transfer between Division I schools with no redshirt year. Under the new rule, athletes are competition eligible immediately at a new school. An NCAA spokesperson provided um, they are academically eligible and making progress towards their bachelors. So, back in the day, you could not do this. So now the difference is you could transfer from Division I to Division I and not sit out a year. As long as you meet academic eligibility requirements, there's nothing that says you can't go play right away. So this is what has happened. Now, 
moving on, how many times can they transfer? Well, there's an appeals process that they could put in because if you transfer again, they talk about they have to sit out a year. But if you are in your graduate program or you're done with your grad, now you're in your you're not an undergrad anymore in your graduate program, that gives you an extra year. So now people are finding ways to do this. And then during COVID, they were putting in these processes left and right. And then NCAA was not denying them because they did not want to go through everything, especially with COVID. That was one of the last things they wanted to worry about was, well, we're in COVID. We're dealing with the rules. We're dealing with all this other stuff. Why do we want to deal with denying people the right to transfer? Why are we denying this? And then while this is going on, they're still, they were dealing with the lawsuits with paying players and name, image, and likeness. So we have the transfer portal that has now started to come in 2018, 2019. The rules have slowly changed. NCAA is not being consistent with who, with transfers on sitting a year. They transfer their second time. Are they sitting that year? They, they deny or accept, and they've been mainly accepting. So now that as this has gone on, it talks about, well, this person is going to enter the transfer portal because the school is saying that they're going to pay them. This is what is happening. That, oh, they're going to go to this school because this school is going to give them this amount of money because the school said so or the coach said so. Now, I'm not saying this isn't happening, but let's get into what exactly the school has to do with a name, image, and likeness. Um, There's NIL collectives, and they operate through the school but the school can't really choose where that money goes. So the head coach can't say, I'm going to go to this collective. I'm going to go to where this money is and say, we have to give it to this player to bring them there. Now, when they're there, then they can talk with their agent. They can talk to this collective and find a way to get the money. But they're already there. This isn't free. I keep saying this has become free agency. It is, and we're going to get to that point. But it's not free agency with like the head coach, the athletic director, and the actual school. So let's go through another article talking about the collectives. The origin of the name image likeness traces back to late 2000s, you know, when we had the lawsuit. Um, they, they sued the NCAA. Um, a judge ordered the NCAA to pay $44.4 million in attorney fees, along with another $1.5 million in cost to lawyers. Um, and Ed O'Bannon, he was a... UCLA college basketball player who was on the video game for name, image, and likeness. He realized he was on the game and said, well, I've saw none of that money looks just like me. Um, the birth of collectors really comes in from Supreme Court Justice Brand Kavanaugh's concurrent opinion um, with this decision. He, excuse me, he stated, nowhere else in America can business get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. The under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different. The NCAA is not above the law. So what is a collective? As of July 1st, 2022, there are more than 120 collectives, which there's more now, either known in the process of being formed. And that number was growing. Of the 65 schools that made up the Power 5, 92% have at least one collective or in the process of forming one, all 14 schools in the SEC have um, at least one organization. So here's an example of a collective and what it could be called. Like for the University of Illinois, there's one called Icon Collective. It's a person, it's a business. Um, The University of Illinois Division of Intercollegiate Athletic announced the public launch of Icon Collective on March 2nd, 2023, the day after the collective announced it launched on Twitter. Notably, the athletic departments also announced the value of the name, image, and likeness agreement Icon Collective has facilitated in its first few months of operation, more than $1.5 million. Former Illinois swimmer and athletic department development officer Kathleen Knight is the president and CEO of Icon Collective. Illinois announced Icon Collective filed for 501c3 status and that the collective expects to hear back from the IRS in the summer of 2023. Knight formed Icon Collective Incorporated in November 2022. The Illinois Secretary of State website lists Icon Collective as non-for-profit corporation. Former Illinois Director of Golf Operations, um, Jackie Smezmik, serves as the Icon Collective's coup. So that's just an example of a place that can make money and deal with how giving it to athletes. 
So that's an example of a collective. Um, often founded by prominent alumni and influential supporters, school-specific collectives pool funds from a wide swath of donors to help create name image likeness opportunities for student athletes through array of activities. So remember when back in the day, when we think about Miami and the U boosters were paying players, it is now legal boosters can create things with their money. And this is what is given to the players, whether it's their business. So if it's a car dealership, if it's, you know, this, this car dealership wants to, to give this person money, they can then go through this collective and give money. And they say, this money's going through here. It's going through this. Now it's become legal. Boosters and, and everybody can go through this. Collectives, which are independent of a university, can serve a variety of purposes. Most often they pool funds from boosters and businesses to help facilitate name, image, and likeness deals for athletes. It also creates their own ways for athletes to monetize their brand. The term collective, which generally means a, a cooperative enterprise, has no particular legal significance. So think about... When people, when the players go pro, they go work for, they go get an agent at this agency and they can work through this place and they can help do whatever. This is what this has turned into. This is where the free agent semi-pro stuff comes in because when they go to their school, they can see what this collective does. They help, they can go to this place. They can give them money. Or they can say, hey, we'll reach out to these businesses and see if we can't get you some type of deal because these college athletes now have agents and this is what's worked. Now, these people work with the school, but they're also not a part of the school. So let's talk about how an NIL collective can operate. It's typically driven by boosters, whether it's one-time payments or subscriptions. The NCAA defines a booster as an individual, independent agency, or corporation entity who is known by a member of the Institute's Athletics Administration to have participated in or been a member of an agency or organization promoting the school's intercollegiate athletics program. The booster may also assist in providing benefits to enrolled student-athletes or their family members. Um, They're usually non-for-profit, and they have to um, go through the IRS for that. Um, each collective sets out an accomplishment to separate a list of goals for some. It may be streamlining name, image, likeness opportunities. Some may want to crowdsource funds for boosters, most often across the college sports landscape. Three types of collectives has emerged. Marketplace collectives. Um, this organization is sets out to create a meeting place for athletes and businesses to connect and create opportunities. Sometimes this collective can even serve as the agent representative for the athlete. Donations are typically embarked for help supporting logistics. An example of this would be Mark Marketplace Florida Division Street, Happy Valley Talent, and Tiger Impact. So this is what we just said. This is helping them get in touch with businesses and places to help them make money, whether they're going to be in commercials, um, they sponsor things on their social media pages, they get on TikTok, they try to be like a social media influencer, and, you know, they could be put in place with local businesses, they can be in place with everything else, and it just kind of helps them um, figure out how to make money while they're in school and use their name, whether it's taking pictures, autographs, anything like that. The next one is... A donor-driven collective. This collective is pulling together boosters and supporter funds and creating opportunities for athletes to give the money back to them. This is the most common setup. They basically wash the donor money, paying these players in an NCAA-compliant manner. Each group has its own money collection format, which some opting for a subscription model while others welcome one-time payments. An example of this collective is the Wildcats Den, the Foundation, the Fun, the Grove Collective, and the Spry Sports Group. This is the one that a lot of people talk about where they're going to go to the school because this school is going to pay them. The school is not paying them. The collective, this this boosters, are giving them money. So if it's, hey, you're here, here's $500,000. Hey, you're going to get $200,000. Because this is what I want to pay you because you are a star athlete. Hey, there's a subscription model. So that could be, hey, we're going to give you $100,000 or we're going to give you $20,000 a month. Something along those lines. Um, that's why they said this is the most um, common one 
because it's much easier this way for people to say, hey, my money's not going to go to all the athletes. I want it to go to some of the superstars. I only want it to go to the quarterback. Like the Wildcats den is with Kansas State. You know, those are one of some of the first ones that came about. The third one is dual collectives. This collective is a feature of both a marketplace and an offer for a place for supporters to place their donations. While the NCAA is yet to make a major move against a collective, many industry sources, the donor-driven collective will be made an example of that could set a dual collective for, up for success. Examples of this are the Gator Collective, Rising Spear, and Classic City Collective. Another type of collective has emerged in the last month, and Yoki Powered Player Driven Collective. This model has been launched by Auburn, Kansas State, Texas, Michigan State, and Minnesota. While the organization is led by players, infrastructure is put together by Yoki, Y-O-K-E. The group sells access passes to the fan base with the sales pitch of having opportunities to interact with the team from VIP tailgates to one-on-one interactions. Student-athletes will split 75% of the revenue while Y-O-K-E takes 25%. So now we're getting, we're starting to, you know, dip into the professional model or we're dipping into, um, <laughs> it sounds like you're dipping into like the comedian world where you go to meet Burt Kreischer or Joe Rogan, uh, Tom Segura. You're getting into meeting Kenny Chesney or some other person backstage. You're buying these backstage passes to go see the team and these players. Um <laughs> The other collective that launched has caught the attention of many in the name, image, and likeness industry is USC's latest move. The Trojans Athletic Department um, signed media agency Stay Doubted as a third-party option for their student-athletes. This will allow players to go in-house to support the pursuit of name, image, and likeness. Stay Doubted has established a subsidiary name, um, Boulevard LLC. This company will operate as an agency and media company exclusively serving USC athletes in their search of partnering with businesses, at least seven full-time state-doubted employees will be the, the dedicated of Boulevard Athletics. So, let's talk about the concerns over collectives. Um, collective has also been a centerpiece of the controversy in the, the first year um, when it comes to inducements and pay-to-play recruiting and the transfer portal. So, there's a big connection with the transfer portal. No way. We've always talked about this. The first story came out in the report in March of the athletic Stuart Mandel, which outlined the five-star recruit in the class of 2023 signed agreement with a school's name image likeness collective that could pay him more than $8 million by the end of his junior year of college. This recruit is widely believed to be Tennessee's five-star quarterback commit Nico um, Emma The report went on to, on to detail that the prospect will be paid $350,000 almost immediately, followed by monthly payouts, escalating more than $2 million per year once he begins his college career in exchange for making public appearances and taking part in social media promotions and other NIL activities on behalf of the collective or a third party. His story exposed the underbelly of the name, image, and likeness, specifically in college football and college basketball, but that was really just a tipping point. Name image likeness lawyers have emerged in this new era, serving athletes in negotiation contracts with collectives. These athletes are getting agents. They are negotiating with these businesses. They are negotiating with these collectives to make money. We've t- I've talked about this before. Four-star quarterback um, Jane Rashonda recently committed to Miami. Yet only hours later, his name image likeness attorney was on the record telling on three um, the four-star recruit left millions of dollars on the table by not going to Florida. Head coach after head coach has told stories this offseason of players entering the transfer portal because of the opportunity to cash in with the mix of the portal and name, image, and likeness. The offseason has turned into college sports free agency. I have said that. Not a lot of people listen to this. I'm trying to grow it. I have said this. It has become free agency. But it's becoming free agency, not with the school. So we need to stop talking about the school is paying people. The free agency has come from these collectives and these agents and these lawyers starting to now mingle in with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds and making money. 
It's all about making money now. It used to be school pride. It used to be wanting to win. It used to be playing. It used to be competing, which some of that partly is true. Not every person that enters this transfer portal is going to look for money. It could be playing time. It could be because their coach left. But it's turned into this person's making this money from this collective. Why don't I go here? Or I'm not happy with the one I'm with now. My agent is telling me if I go to the transfer portal and try to go somewhere else, there's the opportunity that I can make money. And this person is telling that to these families who want this money, who probably need this money, who could use it, and it's turned into a free agency. It's in this article. I've said it, and it's right here. Mac Brown stated, head coach of North Carolina, we can't promise anybody any money for play. He said this. Just about every transfer I've talked to was being offered money from other schools, so it was a little ridiculous. The NCAA released updated guidance on name, image, likeness in early May, and this was last year, stating collectives are not to be involved in the recruiting process or in the transfer portal. There continues to be growing concern over the role of the collective, and the NCAA guidance has not slowed down any organizations. A majority of athletic directors express concern that the collectives are using name, image, and likeness payments as pay-to-play recruiting inducements, both with high school prospects and in the transfer portal. Lead one survey results showed when asked how concerned they are about the role of collectives, 90% of athletic directors describe themselves as concerned and 73% of survey respondents express that they are extremely concerned. Lead one, which is a group representing the interest of FBS athletic directors, received feedback from 80 of the nation's 130 FBS athletic directors. The majority of participating ADs 70% 70% believe an unregulated name image likeness market will lead to more scandals. Another 87% disagreed with name image likeness payments that are tied with athletics or an athlete solely being rostered on the team. So even though these collectives aren't supposed to be in the transfer portal, what is stopping them from going to a high school kid and just planting the seed and saying, look at the amount of money this person's making at this school. You know what I mean? Like, just because it's there, we're gonna le- it's legal. Don't get me wrong. Once they're in the school and they're getting paid, that part's legal. The part that's gonna that's not legal is are going against these rules are when they're in the portal, these people are talking to them saying we're gonna pay them. Again, it's not the head coach going in there and saying that, well, there could be, there could be some scandals coming out from that. The paying the players part's not the issue. I have no problem with the players getting paid. That's fantastic. It's how this is unfolding and not being the true part of college sports, I think, that a lot of us love or loved and what was a part of. Um, so that's the big part of name, image, and likeness and as they relate to the transfer portal. Um, collectives will always be tied to universities, whether school wants to recognize it or not. Early signs have shown, however, that the organization that is in lockstep with an institution athletic department will produce the most beneficial results. The relationships between collectives and universities can be complicated. Certain states have enacted laws open up the possibilities for coaching staffs to directly talk with collectives, such as in Tennessee and Mississippi. At the same time, for example, in New York, there have been um, talks of banning the collectives. This comes from... Um, this all comes despite the NCAA stating the collective is not to be involved in the recruiting process or in the transfer portal. The NCAA requires name image likeness agreements to be based on independent case by case basis. The price tag contract agreements needs to come from analysts or analysis of the value an athlete brings, not as an incentive for enrollment decisions or membership on the team. While the NCAA did not lay out any specific examples of this happening, Industry sources continue to tell on three that this is happening across the country and it's a role that collectives are fulfilling because the NCAA is not providing any leadership. They're not. They they are laughing at this. They did not want to pay players. And they're sitting there saying, Hey, you wanted to pay players. This is what's going to happen, you paying players. They're sitting back and laughing until it gets to a certain point where they can seize a moment then to step in. Because they like to be in control. They want to control everything. They want the power. And the moment that it starts to get really crazy as it's slowly getting to that tipping point, they will get to that point and they will then step in 
but they're going to laugh at it. And then there's going to be some type of huge, um, huge backlash from it. There's going to be some type of huge restriction and it's just going to lead to more legal action, I think, because they, it just, it's starting to slowly get out of control with how these collectives can get these kids. There's high school kids getting name, image, and likeness deals because there's, I mean, do high school kids really want to make money being sponsored? I mean, I think it's cool, but at the same time, like, if that place is involved with a collective from a college, that's tampering, right? That they, they could get there. Now, another thing is, these players think they could just enter the transfer portal because they're getting told by agents, maybe different collectives, maybe different businesses, and they think they can just go play. A lot of athletes get left in this portal. A ton. There was an article back in 2022, um, and I'm sorry it's not more updated. I just try to find the quickest one I could find. So just give us an example. According to the Transfer Portal dashboard data back in April 25th, April 25th, just 50% of athletes, 9,567 who entered the Transfer Portal in 2021, enrolled at another NCAA school. 43% or 8,284 athletes are still exploring their options, transferred to a non-NCAA school, or left their sport. The remainder of the athletes withdrew from the Transfer Portal. In 2020... Um, 49% of athletes, 6,703, who entered the transfer portal enrolled at a new school, while 44%, 6,009 athletes are still exploring their options, transferred to a non-school, NCAA school, or left their sport. So a lot of athletes get left behind. Um, a total of 4,084 Division I football players entered the transfer portal in 2021, a big increase from 2,868 football players when 2020. Um, notably, just 54% of FBF's players back then, um, 2,322 entered the transfer portal in 2020, 2021, are enrolled in a new school, while 41%, which was 1,798, are still exploring their options. So they, they get left behind. They get left behind. Um, in 2022, 2,000 players entered the transfer portal, and it does not show any signs of slowing down. Um, so those are just some numbers of these athletes that just get left behind. They enter the transfer portal, and what happens is they either just don't go Division One round. They have to go to an FCS level, which is still Division One, but it's just FCS level. They have to go to community college, or they have to go to a JUCO, or they have to go to maybe even NAIA. You know, they have to go do something. And they have to get transferred out because they just think that entering this is good. And they think it's good because their agent tells them to. Or what I think happens, there are some tampering. I think there is. Because it comes free agency. Um, I also think that players talk to each other. And I think players talk to however they get paid with their collective, their name, image, likeness. And they maybe kind of like what LeBron did, you know, when he was going to Miami, trying to get Dwayne Wade to stay, trying to get Chris Bosh to go, when he was going to Cleveland, trying to get them to go, when he's coming to the Lakers, those type of things. And I think that this is happening where college athletes if you're a quarterback and you want this running back or this wide receiver, you're just going to say, hey, I'm making this money. I could talk to them, see if, you know what would be possible to get you money, but they can't go directly tell that person. So there's these loopholes that happen. And so they just enter the transfer portal. They immediately go to the coach and say, hey, he's entering the transfer portal. This is the wide receiver I want. So now you've got players going to the head coach probably saying, I want him if it's a star athlete. So the great, the late great coach Mike Leach said this is going to enter into this world of free agency. And then this puts way more pressure that is not needed on college football. I, now, I keep going to football. To college coaches in general. Because now instead of just recruiting high school, you have to constantly be recruiting like they used to. But then you constantly have to be looking into the transfer portal. I think they hire people just to look into the transfer portal. But then on top of it, 
if you do communicate with your collective, which you heard this whole thing of, well, I don't even talk to the collective. I don't even know what that is. And so now you're adding way more hours onto these coaches. You're adding way more pressure onto them. And then it's putting pressure on, okay, how do I build a team? Do I build a team the way I want to do it where I recruit these high school kids? But these high school kids, if some of them are getting their own name, image, and likeness, that puts more pressure on, well, if I'm allowed to talk to the collective, let's talk to how they're making their image and likeness. But then if that person tells a coach, hey, I want to make this much money, well, you can't say anything because you can't sit there and say that you're going to pay them. So I think that's where words get jumbled in, where you say, hey, this school paid for this player. Well, it's not the school, it's the collective. But the collective and the school, even though they're separate, they're associated with each other. So we get this concept of, well... They're talking to the collective, which might be true. The collective might be trying to talk to school, which might be true. But that's where I think a lot of us, including myself, say, well, this school is going to pay them. Well, no, the boosters can now pay them legally through this. So I think us all saying that the school is paying them, we need to stop with that because it's just not true. It's not true. And I think that it's not a conspiracy theory, um, but I think we have to slowly start to get away from saying that. And it just puts way more pressure on these coaches and it puts way more pressure on what they're trying to do on top of coaching and the hours they have to put in anyway. And I think having this open portal, name image likeness stuff aside because I want them to get paid. I got told that this transfer portal is like a business. And that I don't want players to get paid. It was in a comment saying that this is a business, so you don't want them to transfer to go make more money. Well, everything I just read to you, if, if it works the way it's supposed to, when these athletes enter the transfer portal, they shouldn't be talking to collectives or anybody else that is with another school. Because that is called tampering. That is against what the NCAA laid out to happen. This is what's laid out for them. So how can you say it's a business decision when this isn't supposed to be happening? So you're telling me that schools are tampering, which I'm sure is happening. The transfer portal is good and bad. It's good because it gives players a way to go get a fresh start. Now, what I mean by a fresh start is let's say a player and a coach have a falling out. I can kind of understand that. If their head coach leaves their position coach leaves, or like one of the main people that got them there, if they leave, I can accept that reason to leave. But because now this portal thing has become more and more popular, I think it's showing people when the going gets tough, they get going, right? Example, you got Sky Clark with Illinois. He transferred, he played like four or five different high schools in high, in high school. Because what do, sometimes you got pros that imitate college and vice versa. You got college that imitates high school, and then you got high school that imitates college. And I don't know which one come first, chicken or the egg. Has high school been transferring long before college? Probably. But because now that college is doing it all the time, you're seeing more high school kids talk about, well, I'm going to transfer from a public school to a public school, or I'm going to move states and go play here. I'm going to go from public to private. I'm going to go private to public just because I can, and I'm going to go back to private, anything like that. I'm just going to move right across the border and play, and we're going to transfer. We're going to do these things. We're going to find loopholes, and COVID really exposed a lot of this. We're showing that it's okay to leave. Well, I'm not a big fan of this coach, so I'm going to leave. Or um, I'm not playing as much as I think I should, so I'm going to go. And it's not always the player's fault, but the parents are that way too. The parents are saying, well, you need to be playing more. I don't like the coaches and playing you more. So I'm going to go yell at the coach, which doesn't work, parents, trust me. Okay, he's wrong. I'm going to go somewhere where he's going to play. Or she's going to play. So it's become this norm. And for that reason, I'm not a fan of constantly leaving. Especially at the high school level. But it's become the new norm. 
It's become acceptable. And instead of staying there fighting through, finding a way to play, change your position or do something to fight through to get to play, we're showing this to kids now. So when they get to college, all they know is to leave, to transfer. And when they get to college, if they're not playing as much, they're not the starter, they're not anything like that, guess what they do? They leave because that's what they know. And now they're going to talk to coaches who are freaking out and they're going to say, yeah, come here. And then they can look at other players and say, well, I guess I they, the players can talk and talk about how much they're making. And they say, well, if I go to this school, maybe I can go work with that collective and I have the opportunity to make that money. Or my agent is telling me how good I am. I have family members telling me how good I am. So I'm going to leave because this coach yelled at me. I'm going to leave because I'm better than that coach. I'm going to leave because I'm better than this person who's starting ahead of me. So I'm going to leave. Only sometimes have you seen that work. Justin Fields left Georgia and went to Ohio State and did very well. Those are just little small examples. Sometimes it does work. You see Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts tried. He stayed there. He competed. Then he went to Oklahoma and did his thing after he left Alabama. So there are times it's okay, but when you see some people talk about, like, there's a tight end, I think it's his fourth college in four years. Like, that, that's not showing a kid to fight through adversity if you're not starting or getting enough playing time. You know, these, these kids are very impressionable, and so they look at those things like, oh, look at the dance they did at the end zone and, and the inappropriateness of it. Well, it's okay that they did it, so I'm going to do it. Look at them yelling at the refs. And complaining, I'm going to do that. Look at LeBron James. He got hit kind of in the arm on the foul going up on a layup. And he yelled at the ref and complained and doing all that stuff. Look at Patrick Beverly. He brought a camera down to show to the ref. I guarantee you're going to see that next year in basketball in high school. Somewhere. Somewhere some foul is going to happen. They're going to have their phone from their dad, their mom, somebody. And they're going to go down there and do that. Because, that, because the pros are doing it and college is doing it. So it becomes okay. That's the part that I'm not... I don't like, I, I would rather them, there has to be a, there has to be a way to control this, whether it's you get one transfer, which they're trying to enforce this. They need to enforce this where, okay, you can't transfer your first year. If you're red shirt, if you're red shirt, you definitely can't transfer. You can transfer after one year of non red shirt. Oh, and, or if your head coach leaves, so if you're recruited, it's your first year, you automatically play. You're a freshman, you're getting playing time. That next year, your head coach leaves. Well, you transfer because you want to, because he left. You went to go follow him or something, okay? You transfer with him, which people are going to frown upon that, but if this is the world we're going, we got to figure out a way to do this. Now, this is kind of where I'm not smart enough to figure this out, where it's you allow them two transfers, then so they te- do they technically have two where they can transfer their head coach, and let's say that next year they're with their head coach, they don't like everything that's going on, so they want to transfer again. I think it has to be one or the other. So if the first one that happens is your head coach leaves, you can transfer with him. I think if you try to do it the second time, because you did that way the first time, if you transfer a second time, you have to sit out for a year no matter what. If it's your first year playing, so let's say you're a freshman, you automatically play, you don't, you realize you don't like it there, you could transfer, and there's your one. Then if you decide to do it again, you have to sit out for a year, and you will sacrifice your junior year, and you can play your senior year, which gives you less film. Now, this is obviously from, I think, Division One. Now, this could be Division One, to Division One. It could be even FBS to FCS. Do you, do you see this is where I'm not smart enough, but... You, if it gives it a cap, especially if you go Division One, Division One. Now, let's say they're at Alabama, they transfer to Wisconsin, then they want to transfer again. Well, they have to sit out a year if they decide to transfer to Oregon. Well, let's just say they don't want to do that, but they want to leave Wisconsin because something bad happened. If they go to JUCO, it doesn't count. They can play. If they go to Division Two, they can play. Like there could be those type of things. But if you're looking at Division One route. I think those are the things to put on there to try to have these kids not, you know, transfer. If you're redshirted, you can't transfer the next year, no matter what. 
even if your head, unless your head coach leaves, and that's kind of where that comes in. I think that would be a good route to go with. Um, I can't sit here and speak for states and high schools, but the college level, I think that would help slow down this transfer stuff. It might, I think it would help with any type of tampering with collectives because you have to look at this and say, we're not going to talk to this guy. He's transferred one time. If they transfer again, he has to sell for a year. We're not going to pay them or her. So I think those are the type of things you have to look at. And I think it would help slow down transfers in high school because it would slow it down in college. It would become this big thing, and, I, and it would help college athletes out because they wouldn't just sit there in this portal with nothing. So I think the NCAA really needs to step in and have some leadership, have some cojones, and say, okay, we're going to step in. We need some actual leadership here. we got to work with the president and athletic directors, and we really have to try to get this under control because it has become a free-for-all, free-agency-type-looking market. And these collectives are going to start getting more and more power, more and more money. The schools could slowly start losing control. And the schools are going to get blamed because they're kind of with the school. And we're going to keep saying, well, this school is paying here. The school is paying here, blah, 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 blah. No, the school is paying the coaches and, and all that stuff. Now these outside sources are paying the players. And this is causing rifts in locker rooms. It was rumored in Illinois that... There were some rifts because maybe this person's making more money than this person. They feel like they need to be making more money. And so it's just turning into this rift. And so there has to be some leadership that comes down. And they have to get this under control quickly before it really spirals. Um, this was a longer episode. Um, we wanted to talk about the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, collectives, and try to get more of an understanding of what's going on. It's still a lot that we don't know or understand. But hopefully this... It helped me out, but it hopefully helps people understand, form your own opinion on what it goes on. Go do some research, too. I'm going to continue researching it as well. Um, but those are the things with this name, image, likeness. It's become a free agency market, and we need some help. It needs to be controlled. Um, thank you guys again for watching or listening. Like and subscribe um, on the YouTube channel. Follow Coach underscore Steve72 um, and the Coach Steve Show. I'll leave a comment in the comment section down below. This one, please, don't get arguments with me. Let's just have debates or a conversation. Educate me on this to help me out. Um, this is just my perspective of it and how I look at it. Um, so no arguments, no coming after personally. Let's just have a conversation. I'm more than willing to be educated on it. Um, so thank you guys again for watching and listening. This is Coach Steve, and we'll see you guys next time.